right, well, good morning. It is so, it has been such a week, hasn't it? You know, it's, uh, when things are weird, you know God's up to something. Amen? I, uh, I think a lot of us have watched with eager anticipation to the outcome of an election that um, many thought they knew the outcome and still may be the outcome of this election. But one thing uh, is evident is that if there has been voter fraud, which it seems likely, the real loser is not Donald Trump or the Republican Party. The real loser is the American people. Because the one thing that our nation has has been able to say is that this is a place where the rule of law doesn't work perfectly, but it works better than other parts of the world. It is a place that is built not just on democracy, but a constitutional republic. It is a place where people could, with confidence, believe that their candidate either won or lost, but at least it was a fair fight. And I don't know the answers to the questions that all of us are asking. I do know what the Word of God says, and I can read history, and I read it pretty well. And if I look back over history, I know that there was a despotic leader by the name of Joseph Stalin who spoke these words. He said, I, I consider it completely unimportant who in the party will vote or how, but what is important is this, who will count the votes and how? Stalin recognized this and became that leader of the USSR, we know today as Russia. But also, you need to understand that working behind the scenes, uh, intelligence agencies for years have been creating all kinds of different scenarios to get an outcome in an election. A tactic developed during the Cold War was where the KGB or the CIA agents orchestrating a coup d'etat, which would release false polling data prior to a rigged election so the citizens would be less inclined to challenge the fraudulent results. And that's historically true. We know that to be the case, and we wonder, does that really happen here? Sometimes we have what I call the children's Sunday school version of politics. We live in an idealism that assumes all is well and everybody plays fair. But all you have to do is read the Bible and realize that human nature is always seeking power and control. It's true in your life to some degree. It's true in other people's lives as well. That there's something in us and it's that bent that is that moves away from God and toward ourself that causes us to seek power or control, even if it's something as simple as trying to get ahead of someone at a stoplight. We know it's in us. We're wired that way because we chose sin versus choosing God. I went back and historically I, I read something about LBJ, we know him as Lyndon Baines Johnson. You know him as a president who took over after Kennedy was assassinated in Texas. But maybe you don't know that he was a U.S. Senator from Texas from 1949 to 1960. 
He then became the president in 1960 to 1963 and was sworn in as the 36th president in 1963 through 1969. What you may not know is that in 1948, he ran for Senate again. He had failed the first time. And on election night, September 2nd, 1948, in the Democratic primary runoff against Texas uh, Governor Koch Stevenson, it appeared that he had lost. However, mysteriously, a box of uncounted ballots was discovered. In the South Texas town of Alice in Jim Wells County, Precinct 13, confusion reigned in Texas, and by the end of the week, LBJ had won the election. The new totals showed 202 additional voters, some of whom were deceased and buried in the local cemetery or were absent from the county on election day. These voters lined up, apparently, in alphabetical order. At the last minute, they signed in the same blue ink, and it was a mystery, but they had exactly the same handwriting. They cast their ballots for LBJ, and he became the then senator from Texas. Now, the consequences of that are multiple. The consequences of fraud in any election or in any part of our life, they have effect on us, do they not? But what about for him? Did it really hurt us that the wrong guy get, got into power? Well, let me advance you to 1954. In 1954, the Johnson Amendment was put forth by LBJ, and it prevented tax-exempt organizations from participating in any political campaign on behalf of any candidate in public office. What that means is that we're still living under the shadow of the Johnson Amendment. The question comes, had he not fraudulently got the election, would he have become the senator? Had he not become the senator, would he have become the vice president and then the president? He went on to say, this is a quote from him, denying tax-exempt status to not only those people who influence legislation, but also to those who intervene in any political campaign on behalf of any candidate for any public office. So what he essentially did was he silenced the church, and the reason, if you go back and look at it, Stevenson was highly supported by the local church. Pastors all across Texas were voicing their support for the governor, who was a good man, who was a Christian. But there was an attempt, and it worked pretty well, to silence the church. The question goes on, were there other ramifications? Indeed, there was. Johnson escalated the Vietnam War. He plunged us into a battle that cost over 200,000 lives, uh, casualties on the American side. If you take all the totals from the Vietnam side and from American side and from all the civilians and you add them all up, 1.3 million people died during the Vietnam era. And it was largely because of LBJ. History is irrefutable on that matter. And yet we find ourselves living every day in history. And we wonder, are we going to make a difference in the future? Will we be people who stand or will we be people who say, well, that's just the way it is, and there's nothing we can do about it? That's exactly what someone who wants to steal, kill, or destroy would tell you. In fact, his name is Satan. He tells you it doesn't really matter. In fact, Christians should just be quiet and silent and not talk about politics too much, because after all, we just gotta stick to heaven 
and all the good stuff that we know and love and stay in our little holy circles. Just the opposite should be true. No one should be more concerned about the well-being of a nation than those who call on the name of Jesus Christ. We were created in the image of Almighty God to preserve life. That means all life, regardless of their color or their creed. We are designed by God to uphold righteousness and truth. The Bible says in Proverbs that a false balance is an abomination unto the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. In other words, whenever things are out of balance in our life, God has a pushback on us. We need to have a pushback in our world. We get pretty consumed with a national election, and sometimes we forget what's happening locally. I remind you that the president had very little control over the bad legislation that took place in California over the last 50 years. Local elections make more difference to you than a national election. You realize there was a piece of legislation that passed by just one vote in Sacramento, and it basically took away the penalty and the wrongdoing for someone who was a pedophile. One vote. Now, I remind you that it's a supermajority in the Senate in California. So that means a lot of Democrats said this is wrong and we're gonna vote against it. Do you realize it was only a one vote margin that pushed that into law? What would happen if you and I would push, so to speak, an agenda that says let's uphold righteousness, let's build a relationship with the Democrats who are moderate and say could we not agree to keep a little bit more sanity in our state at the same time work to get Republican candidates who are speaking the truth, and guess what? Truth is truth, regardless what party it comes from. And we need to be about truth. We need to be about righteousness. We bring goodness into our land, amen? Well, there's three battles that every Christian will fight. And I wanna give you those three battles today. You might say, well, I think there's more than that. There probably are, and that'll be another sermon. It'll be the addendum to this one. But the first battle that you will fight, every Christian will fight in this room, whether you know it or not, is a spiritual battle. You will contend with forces of evil that will try to push you away from God, away from a, a desire to serve God and to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses eight and nine, it says, be sober and be vigilant, why should I do that? In other words, why should I be sober-minded? Why should I have a good, healthy perspective on life? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, so Satan's agenda for you is not to just cause you difficulty and challenge you, but it is to destroy you or to devour you. The interesting thing is that Peter uses a phrase here, a roaring lion. A roaring lion actually was not frightening. It was not dangerous. The roaring lion was the old lion that was staged by the young lions to roar so that the prey would run in the opposite direction into the jaws of the young lions that were waiting. So sometimes what we do is we react to that big noise, so to speak, that big problem, and we run into the very trap that Satan has stored for us. That's why the Bible says to be sober. Before you react, be sober. 
Be vigilant. Your adversary, what does he do? He's like a roaring lion. But notice what it says. Resist him. Who? The roaring lion. Don't run into the arms of the young lion. Resist him. Be steadfast in what? In the faith. It doesn't say your faith. It says the faith. The faith is the word of God. It's the revealed truth of God. If you don't know the word, you can't stand in that day because your faith, personal faith, is is linked to the faith that is the revealed truth of God. If you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, if you're not putting it into your life, if you're not making it a part of your life, you're not going to have personal faith because you don't have the faith that's strongly rooted in your life. It occurred to me this week, I was thinking about the churches in California and the the number of churches that are open during this season is hard to pin down. We think it's somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000 churches out of 45,000 churches. Now I want you to think about that. What's happening here is an anomaly in California. It's not normal. I didn't say you're not normal. That may be true, but that's not what we're talking about here today. That's not normal. And my mind, it was like the Spirit of God just brought me back to China, and I thought about the underground church, and then I thought about the government-approved church, and how the underground church is huge. No one can really pin it down and how large it really is. Into the millions, they they suspect. But the government-approved church gets to preach a certain, on a certain level, on a certain things, but only as the government approves. And I thought, you know, that's really what's happening here, at least in California, is that we have an underground church that is functioning right now in California. But we also have those who have lined themselves up with the government church. And they've said, we're not going to open. We're not gonna go against the grain. Tell us what you want us to do, and we will do it. And all of a sudden, Caesar has become God. That's the day we're living in. Back in July, we launched something called American Faith. If you want to check it out, it's AmericanFaith.com. I did it more as a reaction because I was so frustrated with what I was seeing in America and especially in California. And I thought, there's got to be something we can do. And so over the course of the months, we've had several breakfasts. We've had a Zoom call with Huckabee. We've launched a 9-11 event, a number of things that we've done. But in this new season, and you're going to hear more about this in two weeks, uh, we're going to take American faith to the next level. And we'll give you details on that day, but what you see now is just going to go to a greater degree. Because if we remain silent, if we remain silent, I can promise you this, there will never be an election that will be fair from this point on. This sets the stage. You may not be a Republican, you may be an independent, you may be a Democrat, that's fine, but I think at least you would agree, I want a fair election. Amen? Notice what it says, resist him, be steadfast in your faith, and look at the encouragement, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, you're not alone. There are other people who are challenged in their faith, to stand in the middle of a storm. So whenever you begin to feel like you're all alone, 
There's, you're the only person at work, you're the only person at school, you're the only person in your community. Realize you are not standing alone. You are standing with a brotherhood who are standing tall for the kingdom of God. And don't be, don't be discouraged because most don't stand. The reason that Adolf Hitler was able to do what he did in Germany was because of the Lutheran church totally collapsed and folded and became a government church. Now there were those who stood, like Bonhoeffer, but it cost him his very life. He died in an extermination camp because of his faith in God and his resistance to the evil machine that existed in his day. But remember this, the Bible teaches us that when we, when we stand for our faith, God is going to honor that commitment and that standing, and it's going to multiply well over. It's been said in Fox's Book of Martyrs that the blood of the church, or the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. That is that whenever you suffer for Christ, and by the word, the word, the word martyr is the word testimony. If we translate the word testimony from the Greek, the Greek word is martus, it's where we get our word martyr. It's a transliterated word, and we understand it is our testimony before God. You have to give a testimony for Christ because you signed up on the dotted line to say, I will follow Jesus, and the exchange we made was a covenant we made in the blood of Christ and said, I am going to be a Christian. I'm gonna open my mouth, and I will stand even if those all around me do not stand and refuse to stand. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not a hobby. If Christianity for you is a hobby, you're gonna fold when things get rough. You will, you won't even be, we won't be able to find you somewhere. Where is he? Well, I don't know. It got too tough. Battles change, but the objective remains the same. It's gonna be a new battle. Tomorrow's a new battle. It'll be a new battle, a new battle, but the objective is always the same, the glory of God and the goodness of mankind. The goodness of mankind. I don't know about you, but I really would rather not fight. I'd rather live in a peaceful land and just see our economy boom and see our kids grow up healthy and wealthy and loving their friends and marrying kids in the church and all that other kind of stuff. I'd love to see that, but we don't get that option. It just doesn't work that way. Your mind is a primary battlefield in life. If you can control this, you can have success. People say, I'm so afraid in this season, but remember, fear starts in the mind when you make a decision and then the emotion follows. So if you're fearful, it's because you're thinking fearful thoughts. Fearful thought is, oh, are we gonna make it? Am I gonna lose my job? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? Those start in the mind. The mind can also start and say, this is a great season for new opportunity. This is a time when I'm going to expand this creative ability and I'm gonna find a way to succeed in ways that I could not succeed in a time past. This is a time where you get to really exercise the image of God and all the creativity and all the blessings that God has poured into you and see it manifest in your life. This can be a season of gain and not loss, but you have to make that choice and you have to press through it. Is it hard? Absolutely. We all find times when we're struggling, when we hit a wall, when we don't know where to go and which way to turn, but you just fall back and go, God, show me something. Give me the courage that I need in this season. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of, look, strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you realize he's writing to Christians here? He says, Christians, you can have a stronghold in your life. And where is it? Look right here, he uses the word, referring to the mind three times, casting down imaginations against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive. Three times it talks about your mind. The battlefield is your mind. Did you hear me? The battlefield is your mind. Why do you think the Bible says you should be transformed in the mind? Because the mind is where the problems come. People say, well, I'm just, Pastor, I, would you pray for me? I'm just so worried. Yeah, I can pray for you, but that doesn't fix the problem of the way you think. I, I, I can pray all day long, but are you going to think differently so that you can act differently, so that you can feel differently? That's what has to happen. God gave you a, a great mind for a reason. And he says, look, the weapons that you fight with are not gonna be carnal. That means they're not physical and natural. It means they're spiritual. And you're gonna pull down. You ever had an imagination? You, you've painted the worst scenario. Have you ever done this? Well, I'm just afraid this is gonna happen. And people paint a scenario. And I mean, you keep going down that hole and it's bad. I remember one time when I was in seminary, I was late coming home. I was studying at the library. And, and we didn't have cell phones in that day. You know, we had, you know, telegraph. And <laughs> By the time I got home, my wife was mad at me. Not because I, I, I didn't tell her where I was. She just thought I was dead, and she'd already given away all my stuff. She literally said, I just thought, what am I gonna do with all these books? And I realized that my friend Chad would love them, and, and I, I've been totally just robbed by, by being late. Where does the mind go? It goes to the worst possible scenario. Pulling down imaginations. How about everything that exalts itself again, up above God himself? Hey, if your hope and your trust is as a president, you're already lose, losing. Hey, I want to have a great president. I want to have a great Senate, a great Congress. I want to have great mayors and representatives all across the land. But I want you to know my hope is built on Jesus Christ. Regardless who's in office, I'm going to be fine because God's in control. God wants to sink the boat. He's in it with me. Amen. Have you ever thought of that? God's in the boat with you. You said he, Christ is in you. It's what the Bible says. So if he wants to sink the boat, we're going down together. I told my wife one time, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> the second battle you will fight is the battle to live in the presence of God. The battle to live in the presence of God. Every day you have opportunity to lose a sense of the presence of God. Every day you have something that's pulling at you to try to move you out of living in the presence of God. And what I mean by the presence of God is to live in an awareness that God is here and that God is for you. Look what it says in Psalm 16 and verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You see, there's two paths in life. There's a path of death and a path of life. Bad decisions will take you down the path of death. You put before me a path of life. 
In your presence, there's fullness of joy. What about out of your presence? No joy. You can have happiness, but no joy. See, joy remains even in the middle of struggles and difficulties. Happiness can only function when everything's going right. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus Christ. That's why he says the right hand, where are the pleasures from God? Jesus says, I'm going to bring you pleasure in your life. I'm going to bring you joy in your life. I'm going to bring you power in your life. I'm going to bring everything you need. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. When you have the presence, you have rest. No presence, no rest. I don't know about you, I like rest. And I don't mean the rest where you lay down and watch golf. That's why they designed golf on TV. Improve the sleeping habits of mankind. <laughs> What's with the guy? He always talks soft like, like the golfers can hear him. Okay, well, he's getting ready to swing now. What'd that guy say? You know, and the crowd's out there. Okay, he made this putt last year. Can he do it again? I don't know. Speak up. I know what you're saying over there. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter two, verse 11. It says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That word devices is literally a word that means strategies. In other words, don't be uninformed or ignorant about the way he works in your life. The way he trips you up is gonna be different than the way he trips up somebody else. How does he trip you up? He's not that creative. He's kind of a dull thinker. He keeps going back to the same thing and you keep falling for it. How's he tripping you up? Stop letting him trip you up. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's done great research on the mind, we've had her here in our church, and she talks about the malleability of the brain. And what that means is you can actually, the brain literally, you can see it in science, it actually, you can change the way you think. But listen to what she said. Toxic thoughts, anybody had one of those lately? Right? Toxic thoughts, such as stress, worry, fear, anger, and unforgiveness. Feel like you're reading your resume right now? Think about those, stress, not hard to find, worry, easy, fear, got it, anger, check, unforgiveness, yeah, this plane's not gonna take off. Actually cause damage to the brain. You're actually hurting your brain. Chemicals are released into the brain causing chaos and damage. Those toxic thoughts can cause a loss of sleep, or the ability to do your job right, physical illness, and more. Just by embracing bad thinking. Think about that. There's a third battle you have to fight, and that's this one, the battle to excel in hope. You know what hope is in the Bible? It's confident assurance in what God has promised God will bring to pass. That's a different kind of hope than if you win the lotto. Now, if you win the lotto, you should tithe. <laughs> Amen, you don't have to give it all, just a little bit. But we're not talking about that kind of hope. 
We're talking about hope that's built on the foundation of God himself. Amen? Isaiah 26.3, you, that is God, will keep him in perfect peace and constant peace, the one whose mind is steadfast, that is committed and focused on you, in both inclination and character, because he trusts and takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectation. God'll keep you in perfect peace. I'd like to be in perfect peace, instead of just an occasional peace. Perfect peace, he'll keep you. That word keep means he's going to guard you there. He's gonna establish a garrison around you to protect you. You see, God is the one who keeps you in perfect peace and constant peace. Jesus said, my peace do I give unto you, not as the world gives. My joy do I give unto you, not as the world gives. Think about it. Jesus is in the boat in the middle of the storm and he speaks peace to the wind and the waves. He brought peace in the middle of a storm, peace in the middle of a disaster that was brewing. You got a disaster brewing in your life? Let Jesus speak peace over you. You know, sometimes I'll go back and I'll read the Beatitudes. That's Matthew chapter five, starts there. And it's just sometimes so refreshing and I just feel peaceful just reading it out loud. Blessed. And then he goes through this long list of who's blessed. And you step back and go, you know, religion is complicated. Jesus is simple. I tell people I hate religion, and they look at me, well, how can you hate religion? Because I just don't like religion. Religion is man's way to try to, to please God and get his attention. But you always live in guilt. I like a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so much better. Amen. Amen, it's just better. You see, you are the one that's supposed to have the steadfast mind. Don't worry about God's mind, he is a steadfast. If your mind is steadfast, you're gonna have peace. You see, if I can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. He was talking to you, they're, they're saying, well, you know, it's just horrible, I don't know what we're gonna do, and da 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 da, and you go, yeah, 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 I know, me too. Then what do you do? You gotta go start a link group and tell everybody about how to be unpeaceful. <laughs> but if you speak confidence over somebody, confidence will ensue in their life. Amen? Choose trust and take refuge in God. God's gotta be your refuge. God's gotta be your refuge. God has got to be your refuge. God has to be your refuge. God has to be your refuge. Can't be anything else, can't be anything else. And then live your life with expectation. You know, it's not a problem to fall down. The only problem is if you stay down. The Bible says the wicked falls six times, but the righteous rises up. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how many times you've fallen and how many times you've blown it, what you've done in your past, get over it, it's done. Oh, you say, well, my neighbor keeps reminding me. Get a new neighbor. Can't get a new wife or husband, but you gotta, you gotta convince them to quit that. 
You gotta live with expectation of hope and desire and a future that's bright and, and you're looking forward, not looking back all the time. Try driving by looking in the rear view mirror. You're gonna wreck all the time. You look through the front window, you glance at the rear so you don't do the same dumb things all over again, amen? You look through the window, you look through the window, you go, I'm going that way, I'm going that way. Years ago, my wife got me uh, race car driving instructions. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. 15 guys in a room who all think they're race car drivers. They give us three hours of instruction, put us in a fire suit, and then set us in an open wheel vehicle on a racetrack. This is not good. But let me tell you one thing I learned. When you're going into a curve and you can't make it, don't look at where the curve is, look to where you wanna go. Put your eyes and your hands will follow your eyes. Otherwise, you'll keep steering right into where you're going. The reason some of you have hit a wall is because you kept steering into the way that you're, you're, you're seeing yourself in the future. See yourself different, see yourself bright, see yourself successful, see yourself loving, see yourself winning and not losing. See yourself where you wanna go and God will take you there, amen? Amen, give him the glory. Just put your hands together, give God the glory. There is no life except the life of God. If you're going to experience life and life abundantly, you're gonna do it because you met Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, amen? And he loves you, he's reaching out to you right now. If you don't know him or you're uncertain, can I just offer a prayer that you can pray right where you stand or sit, you can pray it out loud, and just, this is a prayer of faith, a prayer of saying, I believe that Jesus, and I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. It goes like this one, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross. I believe you were buried in a tomb for my sins, that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life, life with you. So it's by faith, Lord Jesus, I receive you right now as my Lord and my Savior. You see, those were my words, but if you spoke those words with your faith, God did exactly what you asked him to do. He saved your soul. He put you into the kingdom, and now you start that journey of development and walking and being discipled and following him with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Amen? Amen?